welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Your other hosts, Eric and Garrett, are with me. This is episode 88 for April of 2019. And uh, we have a guest this month. Uh, this is Rick Radcliffe, official friend of Hooniverse. Rick, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Rick Radcliffe, official friend of Hooniverse. <laughs> <laughs> Fixer, fixer of things for people, yes? Yes. Among other, among other duties. Yes. What do you do? What do you ride? What are you thinking you want to talk about today? In a previous life a few years ago, I was the automotive technology instructor at Norco High School in California. And um, we've kind of transitioned our automotive program into a industrial automation light manufacturing program because that's where more of the jobs are in our area. And as I try to explain to my students, it's just fundamental automotive anyway. So everything you learn, if you're interested in cars, you can you know, transition it over into cars. Um, I'm currently riding, as of today, a 92 Kawasaki ZX-11. I have a 2006 Ducati Monster S2R that doesn't see much road time because it's super obnoxious and um, not very comfortable for more than about half an hour and only seats one person. And I just recently sold a Ducati 916 mm. and I had a Roadstar last summer and I had an FJR before that. And I could go on and on. I think the list is like 15 bikes deep now. So if anyone is really interested, you can check my Facebook page it's buried in there somewhere. Or we could talk about it at length if you want. <laughs> we can talk at length about that 916. Oh, <laughs> my God. All right. So I'll try to make that story really short, but it won't be. Um, I had So I started riding in 1991, and I'm one of those amazingly fortunate people who lived in Southern California. And right after I started riding, I... Uh, got connected with some guys that also did some writing and they showed me this really cool road called Highway 2, which everyone knows is Angeles Crest. So every Sunday morning uh, throughout the summer, we would meet at a friend's house and then we would go ride the crest. So my first time up on the crest was on a 1979 Suzuki GS750L. That's the one with the ape hanger handlebars. <laughs> the low um, slinger. <laughs> yes. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I had just gotten my motorcycle license, um, but I thought I was cool. And everybody else is on, let's see, they were like 91 GSX-Rs, 90 GSX-R, 750, um, uh, you know, things of, of that ilk. And these are guys that have been riding dirt bikes and street bikes all their lives, and they have years on the crest. So they're up there just kind of hanging it out. And I'm trying my best to keep up and um, manage to low side going through a corner. Um, and this is your first time out? My first time up um, and uh, my first time riding in the mountains. And so I pick myself up and I finish riding into Newcombs. And I'm getting into Newcombs, which for those of you that are not from Southern California, Newcombs Ranch is the restaurant that's halfway between Wrightwood Civilization and La Cañada Civilization. 60 miles of nothing, just curvy roads, and this restaurant right in the middle. So everybody eats breakfast there, and it is literally, um, on a good day, you can have a couple hundred motorcycles there on a Sunday morning. And so 
You know, for for a motorcycle enthusiast, it is like a candy store. Um, so anyway, so I get there, and my buddies are all like, what happened to you? And I'm like, oh, I went down a little bit. And I didn't realize it, but I poked a hole in the stator cover, and I've been dripping oil out all over my foot for the last 30 miles. So I was like, well, I couldn't figure out why my foot wouldn't stay on the peg. And then, you know, <laughs> so the pair of shoes down and pair of pants down. And so we start looking around and one of my buddies grabs the duct tape off of his wheel weights and duct tapes my engine stator cover closed enough to keep the majority of the oil in. And I rode it all the way home and I was down like three quarters of a quart when I got home. <laughs> so that was my, that was my introduction to Angela's crest. Um, but over the next couple of years, I graduated to an F2 and then a VFR. Um, and right about when I got the VFR was when the 916 came out. And so I'm up there and here is this freaking starship carbon fiber, single sided swing arm, uh, single seat. And remember that at the bottom of Angel's Crest is fast by, or not, I'm sorry, not fast by Farashi. Um, Proitalia, is that the place you're thinking Pro-Italia, of? Proitalia, thank you. Yes, Proitalia. Anyway, one of the biggest Ducati dealers in the country is at the bottom of the hill. So we've got people who are buying, you know, they're walking in and dropping 30 grand in 1993 on a 916 SPS. And that's what you're seeing up at the at Newcombs. Like I, I met Reggie Jackson up there one day on an OW01. Um, I got to follow Nick Einosh up in the mountains. Um, on his bimoda mm-hmm. and that was so here i am like you know eyes as big as saucers trying my damnedest to keep it- up with nick Einosh, who's riding this <laughs> you know <laughs> so nick's turned around on his bimoda not even really watching the road and i'm like oh my god i can't go any faster ever and he's like you know waving at me come on let's go let's go <laughs> uh, super super chill guy and then I got to ride with him on a pre-production. So he was riding a pre-production 900RR on my first track day at Willow. So so I can't say enough nice things about Nick Anash. He is a great, great guy. Um, and, and, oh, sorry, so, sorry. And, and to go on a tangent, just because I you know, grew, grew up reading his stuff too. But So over under 800 pairs of leathers in his closet. Um. I haven't seen his closet, so I couldn't say. I, I make that I think joke he because he wears them once and donates them. Okay, I, I say that because in every issue of like motorcyclist and sport right sport bike and sport rider and whatever else he was in over the years, he never wore the same pair of leathers twice for any shoot. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and he never paid for them; they were just donated by the leather companies, which makes it even better. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit jealous, and, the, and really the problem is, I, who is he giving them away to? Because there aren't too many people that can fit into a Nick Einosh size set of leathers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never will. Not even unless I know Lance Holst a little bit. I could always ask him. <laughs> we, we have discussed Nick on the show before. I had the privilege of getting to meet him and uh, Mitch Bohm uh, way, way back a long time ago. And uh, they were remarkably cool people. Two of my favorite guys. So, okay, so the, the 916 came out and I was a smitten. And this is like, you know, the Ferrari. I, I'll never, ever be able to own this motorcycle. Oh, my God. It's just so amazing. So 
Craigslist being what it is, I'm sitting here cruising through the classifieds on Craigslist one day, and I'm like, oh, see what's out there for Ducatis. And sure enough, this Ducati pops up in Corona, California, and it's 40. I think she had it advertised for 4,500 bucks. Oh, my goodness. Bought it for her ex-husband, and when she got divorced, she kept it. The new husband and kids don't ride street bikes. They only ride dirt bikes, so the bike has been sitting for two years in the garage, not touched. It's never down, no issues. Um, so I take a buddy of mine over there, and we, we uh, get her down to $4,200, and I ride it home. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so I um, and it, this one's got like um it's got about half of the Ducati performance carbon catalog thrown at it. So it's got carbon swing arm cover and uh carbon fender and carbon airbox covers and uh a Puig windshield and stainless brake lines and it's just amazing. Termi pipes. So um I uh I start thinking, I'm like, you know what? I probably should service this thing. And I'm looking around and I, I do a lot of my own maintenance and I cannot find any good information on how to set the belt tension on these things. And I was really pressed for time and I said, forget it. And I just took it down to, um, I had a really good experience with Moto Forza and Escondido. Um, their uh, salesman, manager, uh, Chris down there. You know, a lot of dealerships you walk in, especially high end, and they're just like, yeah, go away. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't really need you here. Uh, literally every single person in that dealership said hello to me in the first five minutes that I was there. And it's a small dealership. Uh, Motor Forza's kind of got a rough story. They had a uh, fire in their building, and it burned the entire building to the ground. Um, and so anyway, so they built a whole new building. Anyway, so I took the, the 916 down to them, and I think right at $2,000 later, it was service. <laughs> with valves adjusted and new tires on it. So my great deal on a 916 was a reasonably good deal on a 916. Um, and I go to pick it up from service and they're like, you know, we think there's something wrong here because it just doesn't, we can't get the fuel trim to work like it's supposed to. Like we just can't fatten it up enough to get the fuel ratio right. He says, these were known for having a, a run of bad chips and we think somebody put a 748 chip in it. Before our dealership burned down, we had a stack of 916 chips. We'd have just thrown one in and been done with it. But we have to go get one burned. So they call some guy in downtown L.A. who custom burns these EEPROM 916 chips. And he sends out a 916 chip. And I bring the bike back the next week. And they throw the chip in and do a little tuning. Oh, my God. Night and day <laughs> difference. Like, it was... You know, when they're running lean, they don't really like want to, they don't want to rev. They don't want to really behave properly. This thing with enough fuel was a freaking rocket ship. And I got on the freeway for the first time and I, it was nine day difference. And so I thought it was cool before, um, before I got it tuned. And then after I got it tuned, it was, it was amazing. Um, but I'm in the process of getting married and, um, I went from having a two-car garage and a four-bedroom house all to myself, and I have now um, combined that with a future wife and two kids in a smaller four-bedroom house and a two-car garage that's also supposed to fit a Volvo. So I'm in the process of reducing the motorcycle supply. Uh, we had to go buy a shed and put in concrete so that I could uh, move a bunch of the less essential garage stuff out to a shed. Um but we have the, the man cave is just about done. But 
the the monster is taking up space and uh, so i'll be down to just the zx11 here hopefully in the next month or so mm-hmm. <clears throat> it would have been cool to well i mean you got to experience that 916 for a while so that must have been pretty neat but i get it you got to pare down on some of the motorcycles there's no real good reason to have all of them right so um, yeah and i i I, the wife is definitely a better choice than additional motorcycles. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the joke about no matter how beautiful she is, if she's single, it's because somebody got sick of her. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just for giggles, I pulled up our uh, Craigslist here in, in Detroit in the Detroit area. No nine sixteens for sale. I was just trying to get a get a gauge of what one might be going for, but none none for sale at least right now. So well, you'll, you'll love this. A- Go ahead. I was going to say, I think there was like a, an exceptionally exceptionally nice one on rare sport bikes for sale. Um, but I don't remember now. I'm going to look. You get, you talk. I'll look. <laughs> um, the, the guy that bought it is actually in Kentucky and saw my Craigslist ad. And I wound up, my mom lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, or Kearney, Nebraska. Um, but I wound up going to her house and then meeting the guy in Lincoln and he rented a truck in Kentucky and drove out and picked up the bike from me in Nebraska and took it home. And I haven't heard from him since the weather's got nice, but that was in January. So I did a, a cross-country trip in the middle of January through the mountains in Colorado. So you just got rid of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only had it for, I think, less than a year. Wow. I got it last summer. Gosh, you sound like me. <laughs> well, and so I have this ZX11, which I really love. But um, I think you guys saw on the on the text message today, I had to stop by the grocery store on the way home and uh, my magnetic tank bag was right at the limits of its capacity. And so I really, really want a motorcycle that has luggage that is lockable. So I'm 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 really struggling with that because I have a couple of problems. First of all, my commute morning and afternoon because I'm in California, I split lanes for probably, I would say it's probably about 10 miles of my of my ride is splitting lanes. So hard saddlebags make that a tidbit more challenging. Um, and I had an FJR at one point, and I've ridden a BMW GS, and they both cause really extreme buffeting in my helmet. And so I'm, I'm leery of buying another bike to... Basically, I got rid of the FJR because it was too unpleasant to ride because the buffeting was so bad. And I love, oh my God, FJR is a freaking rocket ship. If you ever get a chance to ride one, take it for a spin. I, w- I would buy another one in a second if it came with an extended windshield. I uh, I have uh, two funny, well, three funny ZX11 stories, all from the same trip, I think. So I go out to the Bay Area. Uh, a friend of mine lives out in, well, at the time lived in Walnut Creek. He moved over to um, Pleasanton now. So, or Pleasanton? Yeah, Pleasanton. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, so I go out there and like I've known him online for like two years, three years. And then I'm, I go out there and I visit him for AMA race at uh, Sears Point. I think it was going on that weekend. Um I think I have this straight because this is 1999, I think. And um, so he hands me the keys to his ZX11 because he's just like, yeah, here, go ride it. And we're going somewhere. And literally, like, this is when the first 
No, second time I'm riding the bike, and his his driveway is on a down angle with just a little bit of a flat spot at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so I started the bike, it's idling, and I went to go do something, and I turned my bike and or I turned my back, and the bike then fell right over. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, all it did was crack the crack the tail light. Not too bad. I you know cost me fifty bucks to buy him a new tail light or whatever it was. That's fine. He's like, eh, you know, he's a little irritated, but it happens. Um, that's fine. So and then a few days later, while I'm out there, um, I'm riding back from. Was that the ride from Oakland? I can't remember. I'm riding back from somewhere going across one of the bridges in the bay. And you're going from like sheltered area. And all of a sudden you're on this bridge where it's just open. Right. And the wind's just like goes from you don't feel it to all of a sudden I'm literally in the in the, riding in the right lane. Now I'm in the left lane. And it was that fast. It's just like you get this 35 mile an hour crosswind because you got this little gap. Um, and then the other one was trying to get on an off ramp. But I was, this is one of those I was coming back from Oakland, um, back to his place. And some of the, uh, if you've ridden out in the Bay Area, you know, like they have some of these, um, ramps that go from one highway to the other. And when you get in this mixing bowl, I swear to God, they're like 400 feet up in the air. It feels like anyways. And it's like one in the morning and I'm riding back and I'm like, wind don't know exactly where i'm going and like you're almost getting this vertigo because you're so high in the air and yes here i am riding someone else's zx11 (laughs) but i will say that bike was my my overwhelming memory of the zx11 is that was like riding a turbine i mean that was just it had so much power it was so smooth and yes it had a power step at like six or seven grand but it was just like the smoothest thing for rolling down the highway it was it was an awesome machine yeah, I would say if you weren't concerned about power, an NC700X would be like a really good commuter with lots of storage space because they have that trunk like where a gas, uh, the gas tank would normally be, but it's like 21 liters of of storage because uh, the fuel tank is somewhere else on those, but they also have like 48 horsepower, so they're not <laughs> yes. that thrilling to ride. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's probably not going to do it for me. What about a, uh, a an Aprilia Mana with the uh, the CVT? They've, that's also got the clamshell tank oh, storage. You can put a full-face helmet right in the tank in front of you. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not familiar with that one. A, okay, a, what? A, uh, and it's got a... Uh, a regular uh, CVT transmission like their – it's actually the motor out of their big maxi scooter that they use in, in Europe. So it's all automatic. And uh, they make a really nice GT model that's got a uh, a little half fairing on the front. Interesting. I don't know how I'll do with the CVT because I can't stand it in cars. So – I don't know if I'd be all that on a motorcycle, but if, that's an interesting thought. Uh, like, uh, have you ridden scooters much? Um, under protest. Oh, <laughs> well, then maybe this isn't for you. It does have a manual mode. Instead of having the centrifugal weights control the diameter of the pulley, mm-hmm. it's got a little stepper motor that you can actually thumb through a set of gears on the, on the handlebar. And it will automatically step the diameter of the driven pulley to certain distances so that you get five distinct gears out of it. You still don't have a clutch, but I think they're really attractive machines for in-town riding. People say that it's a really nice, nice commuter-friendly storage in the tank. It's it's a good-looking bike, and they say it fits a full-face helmet. Uh, Now, in California, we say in-town riding, but... My my in town riding is still speeds of 
Well, my my morning ride is I slow down to sixty five to seventy, and then cruise it more than that. Well, by in town, I mean you're going to be around traffic, speeding up and slowing down. And God, okay. Yeah, I've always been a sport bike guy, and I I haven't ventured out of that realm. Um, really, I like I I got this Roadstar. It I was going to ask you, it, it didn't fit in with the, the all the other bikes like, you named. And so I was going to, I was going to come back around and ask you about that. I was trying really hard. I'm like, you know what? I'm getting older, maybe something a little more relaxing. And okay, I'm older, but I can't slow down. So the Roadstar was really comfortable at like 60, 65. And at 80, you just spent your whole time just trying to hang on to the handlebars and traffic around here flows 80, 85 when it's not stopped. So it just it wasn't usable as a transportation device because you just it was just hang on and try to keep your neck from breaking. I'll throw one at you. Okay. It it does have hard saddlebags or side bags, um, but they tuck in really nicely. It's an Aprilia Futura. I've seen the Futuras, those are cool looking bikes. Super Duke GT. That's the bike. That's that's a good good one. Yeah, Tons still. Of work. Although that's still going to blow you around a lot at eighty miles an hour. Still kind of a sit up and beg. Not like a cruiser, but it's. Yeah, it's. I mean, a super deuce, a kind of a dirt bike, kind of seating position, right? Um, the GT is like a pretty neutral seating position. The Super Duke R is uh, super naked, so it's less neutral, but still not like full on sport bike because the GT is supposed to be a touring bike. I I love how things are, are classified as touring bikes. You know, and it's everything from a BMW GS to, you know, um, what was I looking at earlier today? Uh, the Ducati super, what is it? The, the, basically the hooligan bike, somebody had put bags on and called it a touring bike. It's a pretty broad category. (laughs) Yeah. Touring is whatever you can strap some luggage to and go, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. One other suggestion, if you're interested in the overall width that I happen to think of, is the Honda NVT 700, because it has integral saddlebags. If you have a tube or something that you want to, mm-hmm. something long and thin, a collapsible fishing pole or something, you can actually put those between the two saddlebags. 65 horsepower, so probably not what you're interested in, but I've actually heard they make they, the mirrors are not too wide and the bags are not too wide. Basically, the Hawk GT motor. Oh, okay. So you're gonna you're gonna find this very interesting. Um, at one time, I actually owned a uh, Honda RC36, which for those of you that RC36? aren't RC36, RC36, four hundred. No, not RC30. No, not an RC30. I did have a VFR 750F and tried to pretend it was an RC30. <laughs> that, that wasn't the Hawk, was it? No, uh, the Hawk was an RC31. Okay. Okay, I vaguely remember that. So the RC36, remember that they would, the RC... They would have to be an interceptor. No, no. the RC30, the VFR was an RC34 because it comes from the the VIN number. It's JH2RC30. It's RC30. 31 is the Hawk. 34 is the VFR. And 36 is the Pacific Coast. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's like my ultimate dream bike. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> mine was a little bit more interesting because it actually came from Craig Arian of Arian Racing, mm-hmm. who, when it was built, was actually running Freddie Spencer's. Um, I think it was AMA at that point. Yep. Uh, Superbike. So, two yeah, Two Brothers Racing. And uh, actually was in Anaheim. And so I drove down one day, you know, just because I'm a crazy, just a high school kid. And I'm like, oh, two of those racing's right here. I'll just drive down and see what's going on. So I get down there and Freddie Spencer's leathers are hanging in the hallway. And one of my buddies from Angel's Crest actually bought the leathers. Like they're there like, hey, are you selling those leathers? He's like, Psh, I don't know. What do you give me for it? And they worked out a deal and he took them home and wore them on a fairly regular basis. Um but this uh, this Honda Pacific Coast was sitting there in the in the showroom, and we kind of chat a little bit. And uh, Craig goes, "Yeah, you, you want it?" And I was like, "Well, what do you want it for?" It's like three grandish. And so my dad's like, oh, "All right, I'll buy it." I cannot tell you how much fun that bike was because it's like literally, it's like a scooter. It's a Shadow Eight Hundred under all the bodywork. Yeah. But it, you know, lift up the trunk and you've got a full trunk that fits two full face helmets. So it's super useful, but it's kind of got like a flexi flyer chassis to it. So you just pitch it into a corner and you can kind of tell what's going on because you can feel the swing arm moving inches. <laughs> left, right. <laughs> yeah. I always imagined it would feel a lot like riding a jet ski because it looks like a jet ski. <laughs> Pretty much. But I, so if that motorcycle had like a four and a half or five gallon tank, it would have been amazing, but it only had like a two and a half gallon tank. Oh, really? So like a friend of mine tried to ride it. Another one of my misadventures, I rode my VFR back from Nebraska when I graduated from college through four corners and then through Laughlin. So he's going to ride the, the Pacific coast out to Laughlin. He had to stop in the middle of nowhere. And I don't even remember where this was. The only gas station for miles around because the, the gas gauge was pegged on empty and he was getting ready to start pushing the motorcycle. And, you know, it's like coughing from low fuel. And it just happens to come down this hill. And there's a gas station right there. That's the only one for probably 20 miles in any direction. And it filled up. But, like, that bike was seriously hampered because it just couldn't hold enough gas to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but I was had a pipe on it and a jet kit. And it sounded amazing. Because, <laughs> you know, it's a Shadow 800 with a pipe on it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. There yeah, if that had a bigger uh, gas tank, I would love to tour one of those. That would be awesome. Really comfy. It was really uh, a great ride. I had the right amount of power. I was, it wasn't fast, yeah. but it carried some speed. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, the ZX11 has been great for uh, commuting. I think I'm getting about 30 miles to the gallon, and uh, I don't drive it nicely. Um, but what's really interesting, you were talking about mounds of power. Um, I rarely get over 6,000 RPM. Today I was leaving work and I, I felt the urge and I wound it up a little bit. And I was like, well, this is really exciting. Um, and then realized that um, I was probably going to jail if I continued. So I stopped and, and let it go. Um, the single best modification I've ever done, we did to um, the ZX-11. I got heated hand grips for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, they are amazing because I hate wearing heavy winter gloves. And um, I now have nice light gloves. And 
um, I got the the ones that are made in England, the Oxfords, and they work really well. They have a, a sensor that I guess it can tell when the alternator is not charging, so uh, it shuts them off so you don't forget to leave them on like I've done multiple times. And then um, the the ones that I got are actually for an adventure bike, and they get too hot to hold on to at their hot setting. Hmm. So I usually have to run them at like 60%, and that's just about right. So I haven't ridden it on a super, super cold day because I'm a bit of a whiner, but um, they're they're glorious in the morning. Yeah. I've, I've never experienced the heated grip luxury myself. Unfortunately, I, I, I have on my wife's bike, which is is it's worse if you know what you're missing on a cold day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fair weather rider, though. So generally, if it's below 60, 65 degrees outside, I don't ride. So, well, so the problem is that in the morning, it's 50 and the afternoon is 95. Yeah. So if you don't ride when it's a little cool, you're not going to ride at all. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> just don't ride at all. <laughs> I just work on motorcycles. I don't ride them. I, I wish I had some more time to work on them. I yeah, mean, me too. <laughs> well, is that a good segue to do a little <laughs> workshop update? That's normally what we do at the beginning of the episode. So I know yeah. all three of us managed to do something fairly significant Uh Eric, why don't you start out? Tell them what's up with your XS400. Yep. So uh, not too long after the last episode, um, Garrett got the carbs fixed and, and gone through on the bike on for, for me and sent them back. And then I had to order a new pilot jet because one of the pilot jets was, I don't know, what was it, about an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch shorter than the other one. And Yeah, air, they, uh, air screw. Where it seats down in, I think it just seated hard, and, and when it got taken out, it just popped the end of that little needle right off of it. Yep. So, so. That, that that took all of about thirty seconds to replace when it came in, and then um, yeah, I spent about an hour just getting it all together, and you can see all it. I shot a video, I put it up on my YouTube page, and I shared the, uh, the video over on our uh, our Facebook page, but. Um, it fired right up. I mean, like I literally, I put it to prime and uh, waited like five seconds, hit the starter button, and it just like two whirls and fired right up and, and got the idle about right and rode it up and down the street and so yeah, it was it was great. And then uh, I sent you know I posted the photos and then my buddy, who's also my insurance agent, goes, um, you know you don't have insurance on that bike right now, don't you? And I go. I rode it up and down the street, son. It's not that bad. <laughs> let's, let's it was a calculated risk. Yeah, let, let, let's not talk about the times I rode my, my 125 GP bike around Ann Arbor, just playing around having fun, you know? And that wasn't even a street legal bike. Um, and so, yeah, so it's uh, it's up and running. I need to get tires for it, which I will probably do in the next couple weeks here. Um, it really has not been warm enough to even think about riding, so I haven't been in a hurry. You're 400 wasn't the model that I thought it was. It's not a special, but it's not a standard. What the heck is it? So I, I went back and did some digging into their product line. and uh, It's the E-model. Yes, but the E-model is different depending on what year you're talking about because they had, I believe it was a D-model was the first that they had up through 77, 
which was the very square style, looked the same as the XS360, very typically Yamaha 70s look, a lot like an RD400, very slab-sided square tank on it. In 78, they had the E, and then they had the 2E, the standard UJM-style 2E, had a drum front brake, and it was their economy model. It didn't have... uh Electronic ignition didn't have a disc brake. And then they had the E, which has the, the kind of teardrop tank that was later going to show up on the special two, kind of like their early quasi proto cruiser style that they did to the 400 and the 650. Your bike is that transition in between seventies mm-hmm. and the later cruisers. And it was only made one year. It was a, it was a opportunity to educate myself on some Yamaha trivia. So yeah, kind of, and kind of I'll also add the carburetors on your bike are like one year only carburetors yep. too. So to get parts for them, you, you have to be careful because they're unique. You know, Yamaha uh, does that so often. I know that when they went from the 750 Maxim to the 700 Maxim, uh, I want to say like 86, they had like two years that they had like a water-cooled version and an air-cooled version. They used Hitachi carburetors that were only on that motorcycle and only for those two years, and you cannot get any parts for them anymore. Hitachi's right. not in the carburetor business. Nobody makes spare parts. And since they were so uh only made for such a short period, there are no NOS parts anywhere. So everything you get is as bad as the ones you're taking off of your bike. Kind of like uh a couple episodes back, we talked about uh GN 400 ignition parts that are all going bad. So... So yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited, and uh, once I get tires on it, I got to get plates and insurance, and then uh, have something to ride this summer. And then also coming up in a future uh, show of ours, I will have a review of it came about the same time as the uh, the carburetors. I got a uh, helmet from Arai to uh, to test it. It's the great now. I'm not gonna. I think it's the Signet X. And it's a different for a different shaped head. It's it's the round intermediate oval instead of a sort of standard intermediate oval or something like that. I've got it. It's down in the basement. But I do have to say, I remember why I like a right helmets because as soon as you put that thing on, it's like, oh yes, much nicer. <laughs> um, you understand why they cost so much money. But I'll have a review of that coming up shortly for not only for the podcast, but I'll do a. Uh, a video for for my channel, and then I'll probably write it up for Hooniverse as well for a Two Wheel Tuesday review kind of thing. So, I've always been a, a showy user. A friend of mine talked me into getting uh, some AGVs, and uh, they're definitely representative of the price point that I paid for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were inexpensive, and they feel like it. Um, and then I went and bought a Showy RF twelve hundred, and I'm very happy with it. But I just saw this new. Showy GT Air 2 come out and I'm I'm not usually a more of a touring kind of helmet user but I'm very excited about the factory integration with the uh, communicator because mm-hmm. um, I have discovered the joys of having communication and Bluetooth in my helmet and um, I really want a chance to play with one of those for a little while and see what they're like um, but the the guys that run the cycle gear near me um one of the managers ordered a GT Air 2, 
And then one of their good customers ordered one straight out of the box. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I would love to hear what people have to say about uh, the GTR2 because I really can't afford another $1,000 for a helmet, but uh, <laughs> it's it's very, very tempted. Garrett, you had things, your auctions that you had been talking about the last couple episodes. Well, yeah, we'll talk about the auctions first. One auction finished, which was the RD... I'll call it RD250, because that's what it's titled as, but it's actually a RD350 for all purposes. And remember, this is the motorcycle that was built by Don Vesco, owned by Don Vesco. Beautiful, beautiful bike. And it performed pretty dismally, I would say, on the Bring a Trailer auction. So it ended up selling for $4,200. Which I was shocked. I I was, was. I was blown away. I didn't put a reserve on that bike because I was so confident it would go. I figured it would go for at least fifty five hundred bucks. Is kind of where I was thinking. Yeah, that, that's probably where I. If you would ask me, I would have said fifty five hundred six thousand. Yeah, and so I was thinking, like you know, it's unique enough that it's it's got to go for decent money, and it, it just the buyers weren't there that week, so it sold for forty two hundred bucks, which was really disappointing in my mind and i'm not sure exactly why you know i I was was trying to analyze like you know what what about it wasn't that appealing to people and i don't know if it was the fact that it was a a 250 titled as a 250 or maybe the two-stroke values just aren't there plus you know rds aren't really that valuable anyways i thought the history of the bike might drive the value a little bit more but maybe it didn't that was pretty disappointing. And I thought it was really interesting in the comments, a prior owner of the bike. Yeah. And I, I should talk about this too. This is pretty funny. <clears throat> so I bought this bike from that guy <laughs> four or five years ago, maybe. But bring a trailer when you when you fill out the info, they're like, you know, who owns it? Like you know, who's selling it? And I'm like, I'm selling it on behalf of the owner because I was trying to make things simple and just I was going to it, the title was signed off, but it wasn't dated. So I was just gonna be like, well, this guy is technically the owner. And five minutes into the auction, who doesn't reply? But the guy <laughs> whose name is on the title. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this, because this can't because, possibly happen. Because you were selling this on behalf of the owner who was your friend who passed away. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a convoluted. So so I bought the motorcycle and sold it to a friend of mine who passed away. But the title never got transferred in any of that time. So I just went to my department of licensing, transferred the title into my name and sold it with a title in my name. Screw it. Who cares? <laughs> but yeah, but I just, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, do you want to say this publicly? <laughs> I don't care now because no, you put it I in mean, your name, which was what I was doing. I wasn't selling something that wasn't supposed to be sold, you know, had the rights to sell it, but he definitely showed up on the auction. <laughs> the, the person that bought it, I think it's just absolutely incredibly enthusiastic and can't wait to get it. It should be arriving. It's a, a gentleman in Tennessee that bought it. Um, it should be arriving pretty soon. So it's on a uh, truck? Yeah. I, I, I was not expecting this transportation company. This man and, and wife and a motorhome towing just like a 24-foot enclosed trailer came to pick it up. Uh, and this, this was a, a transportation company that the buyer contracted with, right? 
Yeah, he he found this transportation company. They just have a 24-foot enclosed trailer. And I get the impression that they transport bikes as a way to fund them driving around the country in their (laughs) motorhome. So they just have their motorhome. They tow this trailer behind it, and it's full of bikes, and they just travel around the country and deliver them. Interesting. Uh, And so, yeah, they just loaded it up in an enclosed trailer. Coolest people I've ever met. And, like, I wouldn't hesitate to ship 10 more motorcycles with this couple Interesting. Uh, um, but definitely not what I expected. That was the one downside when I looked at a different um, Tuano, I think that was for sale in San Diego. It was like the same thing. It was like $31 or $3,500. But then by the time I looked at what shipping it to Detroit would be, it was like yeah. eight or 900 bucks. And I'm just like, that's not worth it at that point, you know? Yeah. Not not for a third of their court, 25 to 30% of the price of, the, of yeah. the bike, you know? This guy that bought this one paid 900 bucks to have this shipped from Portland, Oregon to Tennessee. Well, my guy got a deal then because I delivered it for 500. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And he got a hell of a deal. I mean, he really did. Yeah. Especially considering the engine is brand new. All the brakes are brand new. All the carburation is all completely rebuilt. Uh, and it's a one of a kind bike that has, you know, it has some significant provenance to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and for 4,200 bucks, that's like a deal of a lifetime. Uh, now I have the Titan on bring a trailer. And that's for, it's, it's still going on, so we should talk about it next episode. I yeah, mean, that's true. Yeah, it ends tomorrow at one o'clock. So, and listeners, this will be after. So we'll see how that does. So those those two bikes are pretty much resolved and done. Uh, you got you saw my little Forzinger, my little Yamaha Forzinger that I bought for my son. Yeah, the qual- yeah, coolest I, thing, right? I, did did I ever tell you the story about that flat track and the Y Zingers? Yeah, I, I saw uh, you had posted in our group chat, and I saw that right. um, message only today. Okay, I, I thought I had talked about this on a, on a past episode, but uh, I worked for a company in Burnsville, Minnesota called Burnsville Sports Center, and they closed in the fall of 85. I went off that fall semester to college and realized I'm spending a lot of money and I have no idea what I want to do with my life. This was a really stupid way to waste my army college fund. I have no idea what I want to do for a career. Why am I going to college? So I came back home just as they were in the process of reopening a new dealership called Burnsville Motorsports, which was a totally different company in the same building. I'm here in January. There was nothing in the warehouse. This new company had successfully gotten the Yamaha franchise and, uh, Yamaha sent them their first shipment, which was a bunch of sleds. Cause this was January in Minnesota. They got their snowmobiles for the season and a yellow and a blue Y zinger. And we had this warehouse that had stacks of snowmobiles in, in crates. So we had this perfect oval around the outside. So we ripped out the two Y zingers. After work, we, the mechanics serviced them and we had, you know, 200, 230 pound guys on these just pinning them. And the only way you could get them to really go was just to keep them revved all the time because there was so much weight and so little power that the only way you could do anything was just to keep the back wheels broken loose. 
that night when I left, it was like nine o'clock and we had laughed so hard. My sides hurt. We had so many low speed get offs and so many, we couldn't sell them because they had been upside down so many times on the concrete. <laughs> but, um, it, it was absolutely one of the most fun nights of my entire life, flat tracking the YZ sixties or whatever. Are they? Yeah, 60 cc's. Yeah. yeah uh, are brand new ones around the warehouse that was absolutely the silliest, stupid, funnest thing I've ever done. My friend's dad bought this one, brand new, in 85 or 86, whatever year it is. And, uh, you know, my friend rode it around a little bit when he was a kid, but really not that much. And then it just got put away forever. And I bought it from them. And so my son, he's four. He wrote it for the first time just the other day. He's just absolutely thrilled for it. But um, the thing is just in remarkable condition for a kid's ATV that's 30 years old. You know, they just don't last. So And they have uh, a fake monster truck grill on the front, which is. And that's the coolest thing in the world when you're four years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I bought that. was pretty excited about it. Let's see what else. So sold those two bikes, got the four zinger. Oh, finished the powder coating oven. It's one hundred percent done. I just finished the last little things today. So now I can finally move forward on some of the other restorations that I have going on. Uh so I'm super excited about that. What else was I working on? I feel like there's more. There's always more. Have you done anything on the GT750 or the other 350 twin? Uh, um, nothing is, on the GT. Has an XT750 come back into your life? Uh, yeah, <laughs> 750 No. Yeah. And I'm so surprised. I thought for sure, thought for sure that thing would wind up back in my garage at some point. Um, no, not yet. Not yet. That'd be one for you to split traffic in, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> I almost bought a Trail 90, a 71 Trail 90 the other day. Just we couldn't quite get to the right deal on it, but I was really trying to buy it. Yeah, so I think that's what I accomplished in the last four weeks. Well, I did finish rewiring the CL125S. I sent you guys some pictures showing you the all-LED lights, the new batteries in it, the custom battery box I made for it, so it's got a real uh, 12-volt electrical system now a couple of little things i need to do is i need to mount the regulator rectifier because i got one of the giant tractor regulator rectifier units with the fins on them that are like Mm -hmm. designed for agricultural machinery just because as it is right now i've got such a wimpy stator that i don't i don't think i'm going to have a whole lot of overcharging to get burned up as heat but if i put in the bigger stator that i have down the line, if, if it's, this isn't keeping the battery charged, I didn't want to have to be burning up all kinds of heat and melt something. And that's mounted underneath the headlight in the front. But, yeah, I'm, I'm close. I, I need to get the seat mounted because I have to move the seat back a little bit. So that needs new mounts. Uh, the horn doesn't work, and I don't know why. It was working before I rewired it, so it's something somewhere. Um, horns usually have power going to them, it, and it the was, ground is what switches the horn on and off. Yeah, is that how have it, it wired? It was working okay. before I unplugged all the wires to put the new headlight on because everything was up in the headlight. The headlight that I have on it now to fit the seven inch LED headlight is from a Ural, and to uh-huh. put all of the rat's nest of Honda wiring that goes behind it, 
I actually had to put in an oval grommet so that I could get all the wires physically in the back because it just had a little tiny hole in it for like three wires to go to the headlight was all that the Ural had in there. It's a huge mm-hmm. bucket, but you couldn't get all of the cables mm-hmm. that go in there. So In Soviet Russia, Ural rewires you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's little things like that. But yeah, it's been really nice here, and I really want to go riding. I chickened out and just used my FlexCore MIG welder on the bottom of the battery box just because I wanted it done. And it's like, yeah. you know what, this, this needs to happen today. I can yep. walk over there, plug it in. The wire's already in it. Just hit it, and it's going to look gobby, but nobody's ever going to see it. So I yep. did that, painted it. I actually had some neoprene wetsuit material that I used to insulate around where the uh, positive terminal is. Glued that on it, and I'm like, yep, we're good to go. Put it in, mount everything up. Uh, you guys saw my Rube Goldberg arrangement because mm-hmm. the new tank outputs right where the head is. Because I can't fit a petcock under the tank. So I've got my 90-degree fitting I made. Then I have a really nice, like, $48 Goodridge quick disconnect that's all nice chrome-plated brass. Uh, it's probably the most expensive thing on the whole bike. And then fuel filter, uh, fuel shutoff valve, and then to the car. But they're all, like, lined up behind one another in a little train on the fuel line. So, But it, it'll work. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's come a long ways in the past four weeks. Yes, it has. I finally got to the point where I'm like, you know what? It's just got to happen. Make your. I've been waking up at like 5.30 in the morning and spending about two hours a morning down in the workshop. <laughs> yeah. Before work. And I've really discovered something. If you do something really productive and you feel a sense of accomplishment before you go to work, yeah. not accomplishing anything you care about at work is so much easier. <laughs> yeah so true you're not it's like looking you got for your that reward payoff. out of the yeah. way nothing else matters exactly after that. exactly <laughs> yeah don't let your your boss hear that i have to tell you from our last couple discussions i am still trying to convince myself that i'm not semi-serious about either the uh moto guzzi v85 tt or the or the Triumph Speedmaster 1200. Those are the two that I'm really trying not to listen to the voices in my head. But yeah, I'm fighting a losing battle. And unfortunately, everything that is coming out about that V85, all the reviews are so glowing. I'm like, shut up, stop watching YouTube. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> now I've watched so many of them that every time somebody calls a new one, it's the next suggested thing for me to watch. So. Yeah. <laughs> The algorithm keeps pushing them at me. I'm like, I don't need to watch these. Is, yeah. is this is this like how somehow like uh, early 2000s Tuanos keep showing up just without yeah. me looking for it for like three yeah. to four thousand dollars? Man, that one that you sent me that was in my backyard. Yeah, I was so tempted to go and buy that. It's so so Rick. This is like a 2000. I have to go look, but it's like a 2003. Tuano, so the original V-Twin, 1,000cc, I think it had less than 15,000 miles. It looked really clean, and it was, what, $3,200 or something like that. Wow. It it looked, like, brand new. Yeah. But then there's one, like, about an hour and a half from Pete for, like, four grand, and it was, like, you know, an 05 or an 06 or something like that. I could find it in the chat here. But it was just like, no, stop. (laughs) I've got too many other things I need to deal with right now. Uh, at one point, we had, I think last 
week or two ago, we had three Tuanos, a Tuano factory, and an RSV-1000R factory all locally on Craigslist. There is a future that the guy bought all the parts for. It's it's a wreck, and he's selling as a project bike, and I keep wondering why he's not just simply assembling all the parts that he bought for it. And I am guessing it's got a title issue, because in Missouri, there is no recourse. There is no file for a bonded title, anything like that. If mm. this state is the biggest title Nazi state, or that at least sucks. in the United States, and I'm guessing that's why. Uh, but he wants $2,400 for it in Kansas City. Although I have to say, we have a, one of the biggest Aprilia dealers is in the Midwest is here in Kansas City. In fact, it's down the street from where I work. So by the way, it's, it's still for sale, Garrett, at three grand. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's, it's there as of four days ago. It's funny though that Rick brought up Ducati 916s because I've been thinking super hard about those bikes lately. Cause oh, there's just that's like one of my f- absolute favorite Ducatis. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, those are just incredible. I would love to. Have, those are like on my bucket list of bikes that I want to own at some point in my life. That is definitely on it, and it's pretty close to the top. Like probably in the top five. We've been talking about all of these um, different motorcycles. Um, what have you guys heard about Twisted Road? Nothing. I don't know what Twisted Road Twisted is. Road is the Turo for motorcycles. It's the what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have Turo the... for motorcycles. Oh, okay. And I'm I'm very tempted to put the monster on there because I literally don't ride it anymore. But I know, like, you know, we were talking, it doesn't take but a second for something to fall over in a driveway and it gets expensive in a hurry. And so it... so- if if like Turo, they have a company that underwrites it, because I think Turo's got Century or so one of them that basically underwrites all that stuff to take a lot of the lot of that off your hands, then maybe. Yeah, I, I would never, ever do that with anything that I didn't absolutely have no emotional attachment to it and yeah. truly not care in the least what happened to it. Yeah, just like going... walk away from a burning pile of mess and just like <laughs> hands up, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the promise. Like I know I won't won't ride the monster, but it's still too nice to just like push it off a cliff. And I think that's what would happen. But I I'm looking on Twisted Road and I see all these pretty nice bikes. I I just saw a Concord 14 on there for a hundred dollars a day. And I'm very tempted to go and try some of them. Yeah. But I just wondered if anybody had any experience with them. And I, I think this would be a great opportunity for Twisted Road to hook you guys up with some some rental credits and go try it and see the experience for yourself. In their FAQs here, there is a what happens if the bike gets damaged. And they talk about some stuff in here. So uh, some of it will be covered by you. Some of it. Yeah, I, well, I won't try to read it here on air, but <clears throat> it's in the FAQ, so. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely give it a try and ride somebody else's bike, and I would even be kind to it, too. I wouldn't put my own bike on it. <laughs> That's, I, I wouldn't, I would I wouldn't have rent to, out my own. I would have to intelligently choose to buy a bike to try and make money as a rental, and it's just a tool, you know, a means to an end, and I would think, what can I buy for the least that I can rent for the most – as often as possible and just assume that eventually it was just going to get used up doing that. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I mean, that's what rental car companies do. You know, yeah. there's a reason why rental spec is a term. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying to see here if there's actually anything in the area for me that I could rent. Uh, so my, it doesn't look like my other anything concern in with the Ducati is that it's a GP shift bike. Uh-huh. So um, it messes me up and I know it. So I can't imagine somebody, you know, hot dogging down the road and, and shift the wrong direction. Yeah, especially when they're already like in high RPMs and then they go the wrong direction and then. <laughs> well, that's, that's and like you get a, a bunch of half moons on the top of your piston from the valves and. <laughs> no, they're Desmo. That can't happen. They don't float. <laughs> uh, when I was younger, I really wanted a AJS Stormer 410 motocross bike just because I thought they were so cool until I found out that it was not only right side shift, but it was uh, neutral at the top and four down with your right foot. And I was like, Oh yeah, never. Yeah. I'm not uh, Eddie Lawson who can, you know, 10 seconds ago. Oh yeah. Okay. I got that now. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was eighth grade before I had all my times tables memorized, you know, <laughs> what, uh, what years your, uh, your monster Rick? It's an 06 S2 R1000. Uh, someone in Westchester, Pennsylvania, has one on on Twisted Road, and they're getting a buck fifty at well. They're they're asking a buck fifty a day for it. See, and that that would be my other question: is are they actually renting, or is it just listed there? Yeah, this one is just listed. That one doesn't have anything, but someone's got a twelve multi strata that's at least been done once because it has one review for a one thirty a day. Uh, I'll see if anyone else has any other monsters that have rented. I don't see anything right now, so. Well, we probably should call it an episode. Uh, Rick, thank you so very much for coming and spending time with us. Uh, it's been it a while funny. since we've had a guest on. You are welcome back whenever you would like to join us. I will join you anytime. This has been a great load of fun. And uh, next time we can get into uh, many more misadventures, because there's plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> if only we can scratch the surface. Well, cool. Very good. Okay, well, then we'll wrap this one up. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe our podcast on all the different ones. Make sure that you go over to Facebook.com slash The False Neutral and like our page. We do share stuff over there as well. Have any (laughs) ideas, comments, or things that you'd like to see on the show, just let us know. Send us a message on Facebook or on Hooniverse. Yep, exactly. Okay, and we will see you all next month. All right, see you guys later. 